Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. The study of how the moon affects whitetail deer hunting dates back before the foundation of the United States. On this episode, I'm going to talk about what the science has to say and what new hunters need to know. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanitas, and today we're talking about how does the moon affect deer hunting. Now, I go way back on this, and I have studied this long before I was ever a deer hunter, and I have heard about it throughout my entire life. It's the kind of thing that you just, you hear so much about, you wonder, is there any way that there could possibly be people that don't know it? And then one day, you come to a conclusion that you wonder how you never came to in your entire life when you hear the science that actually goes behind this. So that's what we're going to talk about here. You know, I always just knew and heard and was told about the moon and the moon's effect on deer movement and the moon's effect on the rut and how you need to hunt the moon and how the moon is the number one most important thing when it comes to planning your deer hunt and time of the year and days of the month and all those things and if you're going to take time off work you know those are the days you need to take it and you know there's there's a whole massive field of study there Okay, and this dates back a long time. I mean, pre-America, Native Americans, um, just hundreds and hundreds of years goes back. And I really started getting into it, oh, maybe it was a couple years ago. I was reading a book, uh, and I believe the author was um, uh, Charles Oshmeyer. Oh, I know I'm messing up his name. But he was one of the leading people in that field of study and research, spent you know, a huge part of his life documenting and studying and observational research and looking at you know, what has he seen where he hunts. And he was a, he was a professional hunter, photo- hunting or deer photographer and writer and all those things, just spent his life studying hunting and hunting and taking pictures of hunting. 
and you know just the the perfect kind of guy to study something like this and had lots of friends and people that he knew that studied it and you know came to a lot of conclusions and and had a lot of data and a lot of research a lot of information that he put together and i was reading the book and it was really a good book it really was i liked it i i took away some some helpful nuggets of it but there were things throughout the book that just sort of made me, you know, just twinge a little bit when I read them. Uh, and I wasn't entirely sure why. Well, you know, I knew why they made me twinge, but I didn't know, you know, more more about it to, to really understand the full depth of it. You know, I'm trained in the field of research. I've got a PhD not in deer biology, but I understand and have been trained in and conducted experimental research. I understand how to evaluate research for reliability and validity and all the different factors, the weaknesses. I understand the, the logical arguments and how theories are developed and how they're tested and how variables need to be accounted for and controlled for. And there's just there's different kinds of so-called research. And the, a lot of the research that he did, and many other people in the field, I, I'm just singling out this this one particular one because it stood out to me and I had an epiphany moment around that time. But a lot of this research is based on what people saw and observed, okay? They're, they're watching deer behavior. They're taking notes. They're jotting stuff down. They're writing down what they see. They're writing down what they heard. That's observational research. And then they're, they're, they're processing statistics based on that. So what you have is you have uh, observational research and essentially descriptive statistics. Now, I'm only going to nerd out here for a minute, okay? This is not going to be the whole, ep the whole episode, but you got to hear this. Okay, you've got two major kinds of statistics. You have descriptive statistics and then you have inferential statistics. Descriptive statistics are whatever you observe, you quantify, you have this percent and this amount and this average and those things. You're describing what you observed. You're describing what you studied. Completely valid. It is. Those are the numbers based on what you saw. However, they're describing an observation or describing an event. They do not infer that what you witnessed or or experienced will happen or has a likelihood to happen in the future or to at a broader scale. So, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, you could say I went outside and it was a full moon and, you know, in the morning I saw more deer than I normally see. Maybe you did. Great. Okay. And you could do that five times and you could say, yeah, 90% of the time when there's a full moon, I see more deer than I normally saw. So that's descriptive statistic. You're describing what you saw. But five tests, five experiences by one person in one place based on a relative amount is not sufficient data, quantity, anything to say this applies at a greater scale to a greater population all right so you could not say from that that you know 90 percent of the time you will experience more deer movement when there's a full moon 
you cannot say that, that you do not have the statistical weight and power behind the data and the research to make that conclusion, to draw those lines, and to infer predictive behavior based on that level of experience. So you say, okay, well then we just need more data then. And sometimes that's the case and that will get you closer. But throughout this book, and I'm talking about the broader field of study, all right, not just this one book, but this book is very representative, so it's a great example. Throughout, it, it, there's lots of descriptive statistics and descriptive experiences. You know, this guy catalogs hundreds of hunts. Other guys catalog hundreds of hunts, saying what they saw, what they noticed. And, and the conclusion is, maybe I should have started here. The conclusion is essentially that the full moon is going to predict whitetail movement and it's going to predict when the rut happens. So the rut's going to happen within a 30-day period based upon when there's a full moon. And you need to plan on when the hunt based on when that full moon is. So that's the premise. There's a lot more to it, but that's the that's just boiling it down to the simplest level. All of that. So you got all these guys who are writing down what they saw on different days and what the moon phase was and then running statistics and running data on that and coming up with averages and things like that, which is all fine. You know, that's how research starts. That's that's the way you get into this thing. You know, you're not going to get further until you you go there and you start with that. But that line of research was missing things. Right? You're only seeing what the hunter saw. You're getting impressions based on, you know, there could have been deer behind the hunter. The hunter didn't see. There could have been things 100 yards away that the hunter didn't know about. There could have been things, oh, I don't know, happening at night that the, you know, hunters never had any clue on. So you have a very, you have a partial piece of data that's observational. And here's the thing, a lot of these hunters... They're skewing when they're in the woods based upon their opinion of the moon. So they're not hunting as much on the other days. So you're getting skewed data because it's not a perfect approach. And there's a lot more to it than that. But let me move on and, and let's go faster. So you've got stuff like that that's going on. And this has been going on for a long time. So then I'm going through the book and he talks about, you know, Native Americans and how for hundreds of years they have talked about the rutting moon. And they always know that, you know, when you have that rutting moon in the fall, that's when deer behavior kicks in. That's when the rut happens. That's when you need to be in the woods during the rutting moon. If it's good enough for the Native Americans... And, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of deer hunters, then it's good enough for me. Well, that may be good enough for you, but it's not good enough for me. That logic is not sound. That is not the way that it works. Okay. First of all, Native Americans did not have a calendar and a sense of time the same way that we do. They did not evaluate the world through the same fixed optics that we do. Their, their system of time and calendars and, and passage of time is very moon-based, very lunar-based. 
And of course, you know, why wouldn't it be with minimal technology and so on? That's not a dig. That's just, that's just the way that it was. All right. So you have this system, uh, this lunar calendar and all these things. And, you know, you're determining times of year and passage of time based on moons. You, they didn't, they couldn't say October 17th or November 7th or December 1st. They, that was a fixed date, a fixed point in time every year. So for them, they just knew, okay, when we got to this moon phase at this time of the year, this is when there is the deer activity. But it's plus or minus. It could be a couple weeks in either direction, depending on what year it is. It's an approximation. And of course, if you're waiting for that moon to go hunting, you're only going to see what's happening while you're out there. So you've got all these kinds of factors that are making up this understanding, this this so-called research and science and, you know, all these things. So in every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C. O-V-A-S dot com and don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Fast forward to the present, you know, well, a few years back anyway, you know, there were all sorts of, of lunar calendars for deer hunting you could buy. Post it on your wall. It's got all the moon phases and all the information and what days you should hunt. And, you know, even this book that I read had 20 years of lunar calendar going forward talking about when the rut was going to be based upon the moon phase so you could know when to hunt. And I thought it was really interesting that when I read the book, um, that year, like I read it in like September, and that November was the 20th year, right? It was the last year on the calendar. It was the last one of that 20 year count. So I knew the book was over 20 years old at that point. And uh, it was just interesting. I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, this year's the last year that this book spoke to. And of course, the book was over 20 years old, right? So I'm going through this. So I started thinking, okay, this guy is very knowledgeable. He's a good guy, great hunter, 
has studied this thing diligently. Okay, you can't you can't flaw the study because it's he studied the best he could with what he had at the time that he was alive and studying. So I started looking forward. Okay, what has he said since then? It's been 20 years. You know, has he has he held fast to this approach and this doctrine? Well, it turns out he, he had passed away some time back. But the field had continued on and gone past him, had continued on and learned more. However, the hunting community had not. All right. So, you know, you've got 10 or 20 percent of hunters that are actually following the real research and science. And then you have the rest of the hunting community just following tradition. All right. So I'm going to break it down for you now. This is, this is what it really comes down to. Here, this is the moment of truth. I had to give you that build up so you would get some of the backstory and understand the implications of what I'm about to say. Because if I would have just said these things, uh, you know, I don't think it would have had the same weight or gravity or, or you might have been like, well, now that's not what I've heard. So in terms of science, all right, because I'm not interested in opinions if science is available, all right? Now, 20 years ago, there wasn't much silence available, science available. I mean, there were many opinions and there was some observation. But today, you know, think about the advent of the trail cam and the development of the trail cam. You know, 20 years ago, the trail camera was a clumsy thing with film and it was expensive and they didn't work good and it was a nightmare trying to do a mat and let alone like no glow lights and things like that that didn't exist on the menu trying to do any kind of research with a trail cam was was almost laughable well today we've got very sophisticated trail cameras that'll beam photos and videos to your cell phone which you know didn't really exist 20 years ago either so a lot of technological advances um, but three main things have happened. Three main types of things have been done in order to really investigate this because deer biologists and deer researchers have been wanting to answer these questions for a long time. Many have tried, according, uh, including this individual who wrote this book, which I must say, you know, I don't think I could have come to different conclusions with the information and research he had available 20 years ago. But since then, we have learned a lot. So one area of research is the trail camera. All of a sudden now we can put cameras in the woods that are of significant quality that do not affect or disturb deer that have essentially invisible flashes that deer cannot see, able to study deer movement 24 hours a day. So that's one thing that has happened that helps us. Another thing that has happened is the advent of uh, collars and, you know, that we can put tracking devices in so we can actually tag deer and we can track their every movement, when they move, how often they move, how that correlates to the moon, to the rut, to all these things. And we can understand when deer are moving, whether we see them or not. We don't have to worry ourselves if can we see them in a tree stand, you know, during the few hours of daylight on a day that we're actually out there, if they're only in front of us. And even then you don't always see them, you know, it took the human error piece of it out of the equation. So now we can track deer movements 
24 hours a day, 365 days a year, through every season of breeding, of moons, weather, everything else. Another thing is they've gotten very sophisticated in terms of being able to research and measure gestation development in does. So I remember one study, and this was a big one that took place in Pennsylvania a few years back. They studied thousands of roadkill does over multiple years. Okay, thousands. You know, doe gets hit by a car anywhere from the breeding time up until fawning time. And so when they found a dead doe on the road, they would check it. And as part of the research, they would look at, okay, is that doe pregnant? How far developed is the fetus? And, you know, how far developed is the, is the embryo? So they could tell based on when it died and how far developed it was, they can tell within a couple days, I mean within two or three days, the range, they know exactly when that doe was bred and when it got pregnant. So they're able to then determine, okay, year after year after year, thousands of roadkill does, thousands of dead deer looking at the embryos, looking at the gestation period, being able to determine, okay, when did these deer get pregnant? And then how did that date correlate with the moon, right? Because if you can say, okay, this year we had a rutting moon November 1st, well, then you would expect that the majority of does would be bred within a short period around November 1st. Okay, well, this year the rutting moon is November 20th. Then we should be able to say, okay, that year, most of the of the, the fawns that are, you know, th- that are dead, that are in the doe's belly, okay, they were they were conceived, you know, within a, a couple days of that point. And it's okay, the rut's October 3rd. 20th. Well, we should be able to tell then based on thousands of samples, when were they bred? And we should see a shift year after year based upon when those does were bred based upon the moon. So you should already know the answer by this point of how I've been talking about it so far. No such variable or variability existed, right? There was no difference Every year, no matter what the moon did, those does were bred at about the same time. It was the same curve, the same spread. Now in Pennsylvania, you know, the peak of the rut is, is early to mid-November. Okay, the rut runs for a few, for a few weeks, uh, but the majority of does are bred between, you know, the, the November 1st and November 20th or so. It may go a little later, a little early. It's a curve, right? That's that's the peak of the curve is in that zone. I should have I should have had the chart in front of me when I was doing this episode. But over years and years and thousands and thousands of samples, the curve never moved based upon the moon. The rut happened at the exact same time every year. Breeding happened at the same time every year, no matter what the moon did. The radio callers, there was no difference in deer activity based upon the moon for the rut or anything else in terms of overall deer activity. Now, there is something that the moon does, and I'll talk about that briefly, 
It's not that the moon has no effect because the moon affects your ability to see, right? If there's a full moon, you can see brighter at night. If there's a full moon, deer can see brighter at night. So what that means is that if deer can see better at night, they can be more active at night and typically they eat more at night. So when on nights where there is a full moon, deer typically, assuming it's not cloudy, again, right, if it's cloudy, none of this matters. But if you have clear sky and a full moon, deer tend to be, to be out more, to eat more, to eat longer, and then they come back to their bedding areas fuller and they're not as active early morning, right? Often they're back to their bedding areas earlier because they were out for a long time eating a lot longer. Or when they do come back, they've eaten more, so they're more full. So the early morning feeding is usually lesser. So this is going to result in less movement than, it, than if there was, you know, a, a, a new moon or cloudy. But... What it will do then is if they skip their early morning feeding, their late or mid-morning feeding is usually more intense. So if you have a full moon, you're less likely to have that action in the first couple hours, and you're more likely to have it a couple hours later. So it shifts because they've eaten a bigger dinner, so they're not as hungry for breakfast, but by lunchtime, they're hungrier. All right, that You can think about it like that. So what does that mean for hunting? Well, for me, nothing. And for new hunters, nothing, really. You're going to go up for the morning. You know, whether there's a 20% decrease of activity at 7 a.m. and then you got a 20% increase of activity at 9 a.m., that's not changing anything. Not for me. Not for any new hunters, I would recommend. You know, that really doesn't matter I wouldn't plan anything based on that because it's too short of a window. It's no cumulative change in effect, right? The deers were still moved. You can think about it like this. They still took the same number of steps on those days. It just shifted a little bit of when it was in the morning. So not a big deal. Now, if you're thinking, okay, you know, should I try to go out for two hours before work? And what day of the week do I want to do that? Well, if you have a full moon with a clear sky, that may not be the day you want to do that because there'll be a slightly less chance of movement early in the morning and slightly more chance of movement maybe after you've left the woods and gone to work. However, the number one predictor of deer movement is weather, not the moon, the weather. Right, if I'm having an equation, you know, I'm putting 95% of it on the weather, 5% of it on the moon. The weather is everything. Drop in temperature, that's when you want to be out hunting deer. You know, uh, low to moderate wind, that's when you want to be out hunting deer. Clear skies versus cloudy, eh, I'm not sure that it matters in general. It may matter a little bit where you are. It may matter a little bit on the property that you hunt, okay? Because depending on, you know, if it's a sunny day, where the sun hits, you know, in the east or the west of that property, depending on the topography, if you've got hills, one side's sunny, the other's not. If it's a hot day, deer may want to spend more time on the side of the hill that's not sunny 
so that they're you know a little bit cooler. Whereas if it's a really cold day, deer may spend a little bit more time on the sunny side because it's a little warmer, right? Sun versus clouds, I think, matters more on about your location, and I don't think it matters a lot. Okay, yet that's a small piece. Temperature, wind, and incoming or recently passing storms make the most difference. So if you have a relative drop in temperature, that's when you want to hunt. Light to moderate wind, that's when you want to hunt. Right before a storm comes in, that's when you want to hunt. Right after a storm goes through, that's when you want to hunt. During a storm, that's when you want to be in your bedroom or on your couch or at work. That's not when you want to be hunting. Uh, you know, when, when you've got a big storm rolling through, nothing moves in the woods. But once the storm's gone, especially if you've got a temperature drop, which often happens when a front goes through, deer then, they've missed feedings because they've been hunkered down, riding out the storm, and now they're going to be more active. But relative temperature drop is the number one thing to look for. Okay, the moon matters almost nothing. And for as far as new hunters are concerned, I would put it at nothing. I would say take the moon completely out of your equation. Don't even think about, don't even acknowledge the existence of the moon. All right? Don't plan anything based on the moon. If you're going to look at any variable to determine the best days for hunting, it should be the temperature. When there's a drop in temperature, that's when deer are going to be more active. That's the number one thing to look at, and there is no close second. Now, I talked about the wind light to moderate being ideal. Okay, the thing about the wind doesn't really affect deer movement that much, although once the wind gets real high, then they start, they start hunkering down. But it affects your ability to control your scent. So if there's no wind at all, you cannot, you can't blow your scent any direction. You know, you are, you're exposed. You're not able to plan where to hunt and where deer can come from without smelling you. You know, you're, you've got high liability. Whereas if the wind is too, too extreme, deer are going to be hunkering down. So light to moderate wind is best. And a steady wind, of all things, is the most ideal. But that's not affecting deer movement a whole lot. It's affecting your ability to hunt effectively. So the weather is the number one thing. The moon is not even on the radar, okay? It's not something any new hunter should make any hunting decisions based on, period. It's just not. It's not a thing. <clears throat> Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. 
Now, you know, we look back and, and, and all these years and decades and hundreds of years of, of study and, and culture and everything else about the moon, which has almost formed its own religion in deer hunting, all of that is just rendered null. It really means nothing. What the moon has done historically is key people into when is that time of year. It was a way to judge the approximate season, the approximate time of year, because it just happens at around that time. So the rut occurs every year at exactly the same time. Okay, It is determined by the, the days getting shorter. It's determined by the days getting shorter. Fewer hours of daylight begins to trigger hormones. It begins to put the whole thing moving forward. That's what triggers the rut. We know that now. That's, that is the thing that does it. Okay. Um, right. So, uh, you know, but what changes though is every state based on latitude and longitude Every state may experience the rut at a slightly different time. It's going to be the same time every year. You know, say the peak day of the rut in your state is November 11th. Well, in the state next door or just below you, that may be different by a couple days. You know, the peak of the rut in northern Michigan is going to be a different day than it is in West Virginia. It's going to be a different day than it is in Florida. And in fact, the further south you go the less defined the rut becomes. You're like, what do you mean? Well, in, in northern states, in your prime, I say prime, I mean your most traditional whitetail hunting states, the rut is very defined. Same time of year, same window of time, and it's a short window. It's a couple-week window. You get down into Georgia and Florida and, and really warm southern states, the rut can span a couple months. Okay, and the reason is God designed these animals so that they would breed when they needed to breed to ensure that them and their children, the the baby deer, the fawns, survive the winter. So in the north, when it's cold and you've got really harsh winters, if those fawns are born too early, they're going to freeze to death in the spring or in the late winter. If those fawns are born too late, they're not going to have time to grow enough, to develop enough, to pack on fat, to survive the following winter. Now, in Georgia, that you know that it doesn't work the same way because you have a much more mild climate, you have much more variability. The winters are not as harsh, right? Come March and April, it's not a big deal if a fawn is born a month earlier or a month later. That fawn's going to make it just fine. You know, come November, December, you know, it's not as big of a deal if that fawn is running a month or two behind in its growth and development stage because the winter's not that bad. You know, if, you're, if your average low is like 45, that's a very different scenario than if your average low is 15. Okay, so you have much different needs to survive and be wherever they're at, whatever state they're at, whatever latitude and longitude that they're at, they're, you know, that has a slight difference on when the rut occurs. Um, and there may be something to do with that in terms of you know, effect of the earth and rotation and light and sun, but 
all you really need to, all that matters to you and to me really is find out when is the rut in your state? When is the rut? What is the peak of the rut in your state? Then you want to, you know, put a pin on whatever day of the calendar that is, because it's going to be the same day of the calendar in your state every year. And it's going to be the same day of my state every year, even though our two states are different. And then basically put a pin on that day. And then that's your, and then, you know, put a window around that. So I tend to say, you know, mid-rut to pre-rut is the best time to hunt in terms of trying to get uh, effective you know, the deer mating season. Mid-rut to post-rut, I think, is a much harder time to hunt because bucks get tired, they get worn out, they, they stop moving as much, and yeah, they go through a rest period. Um, you know, so I would say the middle of the rut and then earlier is the ideal time to be hunting. In fact, I like to go even earlier than that. But nonetheless, it's going to be the same time every year and the moon is not going to affect it. You know, whether it's, whether it's a full moon or a new moon, those bucks are going to breed. You might not see it because they might be doing it at night. You know, a lot of times people say, well, there was no rut this year. Well, there was a rut because in the spring there'll be fawns. There was a rut. You just didn't see it. Maybe there weren't deer in your area. Maybe they were breeding at night. Maybe you put too much hunting pressure on the land and push those deer nocturnal. Maybe you push them off the property. Maybe, you know, it was just before daylight. Maybe it just wasn't where you were sitting. But it's going to happen at the same time every year. Which also, you know, before I forget, guys, make sure you subscribe to this. Um, or however you listen to podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get these episodes downloaded to you on a regular basis. Also wanted to give a shout out. I've got some new analytics that tells me actually there's a significant portion of the listening audience to this show are women. And I have never once in three years gotten an email or a comment or a Facebook message or anything from a woman despite the surprisingly high percentage of female listeners. So ladies, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know you actually exist and it's not just an error in the data. I would love to hear from everybody, actually. You can head to the website, newhuntersguide.com, check out the show notes, send me an email through the website, send me a message on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes. It all helps. But there's one more, even bigger piece of this equation that I feel compelled to talk about concerning the rut and the timing of the rut and when you should be hunting, and that is do not wait for the rut. All right, if you can help it, don't wait for the rut. I think I shot my buck last year on October 9th, October 8th, one of those days. You know, there's no reason to wait for the rut. I actually preferred the early season because I think bucks are, they're, they're less cautious. There's been less hunting pressure. They're less cautious. They haven't shifted yet towards their, their breeding season or their fall food source habits. And I think it can be easier to hunt bucks or any deer for that matter, early season, like opening day of archery. You know, for me, opening day this year, I think is like September 18th, somewhere right around there. It's always right around the 20th. If I can help it, I'm going to be in the woods that day. 
because I've got trail camera intel. I've got sightings. I know where deer are and what deer are around and where they're at right now. You know, why would I wait until November? And then what if all that changes? What if they all leave? What if they all go somewhere else? What if they get shot? What if whatever happens? And to be honest with you, almost every year it changes between the summer and the fall. And I've done episodes on that. It's not a coincidence. I know some of the reasons, but the point is you don't need to wait for the rut. You know, I look at the rut as, okay, that's the backup plan. If I didn't get my deer early, the rut is the backup plan. The rut is not the focus. I'd rather have all my tags full and be out of the woods before it gets cold and other hunters are filling the woods. And while they're hunting deer, you know, taking shots at each other, you know, like, you know, Orange Army in the woods, I'm going to be duck hunting. All right. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's my plan. I would rather hunt early when there's no one else out there and fill my tags early than than have to, you know, then go all through that. I'll go hunt something else. You know, we've got great opportunities to, to hunt all kinds of things. But you do not need to wait for the rut. And I just did an episode, a few episodes back, about the best time of day at each phase of the season to hunt deer and then talked a little bit more about the weather there as well. But, you know, you do not need to wait. You can be out there in September if your state allows it. You can be out there in October. You know, that's that's the best time, I think, to be out in the woods when you've done research, when you've got scouting, when you've got trail camera photos because, you know, you know what's going on now And it's going to change. It always changes. It could change for the better. It could change for the worse. It could just be different, not necessarily better or worse. But take what you've learned through the summer and apply it before the deer start getting wise. I really feel like bucks, they make, they're a lot more careless in the early season. At least where I hunt. Maybe where you hunt, it's different. It's probably different depending on where you're at. But for me, it seems like you know, there's a lot more daylight activity in the early season. Now, I have a theory there, and I've not done enough testing to to say for sure, but what I have seen in my own experience and my trail cameras is that in the early season, the days are longer. Okay, right? You've got, you know, more hours of daylight than you do nighttime. Whereas once you get to the hunting season, you know, there's only eight hours of daylight. Well, then you've got 16 hours of nighttime. So when it's, there is more daylight and the sun comes out earlier and it goes down later, there's just more hours of the day for deer to be moving. It's a lot easier to become nocturnal when two thirds of the day is nighttime. But when two thirds of the day is light, then it's a lot harder to just sit and do nothing the whole day and not move around and not go anywhere, not eat anything beyond what, where it's laying next to you. So when you have longer days, I see more daylight movement. So I'm like, yeah, opening day in September, let's get out there. Let's make it happen. I'm probably not going to do too many all day sits that time of the year. I'm probably going to do a morning or an evening, you know. I may do an all-day sit on like opening day just because you're so excited and you know you just want to just want to push through but um, you know you've got more daylight and I know right now when I'm recording this of course you know early seasons already is already waned at this point we're beyond that but 
you know, people will be listening to this for years. You know, I think that you really need to hunt based on your trail camera data and your research and your intel. So for me, I know for sure I've got more end of the day activity, more PM movement from like, you know, 3 or 4 PM till dark of bucks than I do early morning in the early season. That's just the way that it is. Um, now, when you get to the pre-rut, that changes. It becomes more more movement in the early morning. When you get to the rut, it becomes more movement basically all day. And when you get to the post-rut, it's basically evening or bust. So, but you know, it, it, it depends on what's going on where you are. Don't be looking to the moon. Don't be looking to calendars and signs and you know, look to cameras, look to, to binoculars, look to sign in the woods, look to footprints, look to rubs and scrapes, look towards, you know, the real things that are tangible that can tell you what's going on where you are, as opposed to myths and legends and, you know, ancient traditions and things like that. You know, a lot of those things were approximations. But they were never true. They were never what they claimed to be. They were just the best anybody had to go on. You know, and if it was right more than it was wrong, well, you know, that's going to that's gonna endure. But we can be way more precise and you can be way more precise where you hunt, judging by what's really happening as opposed to just, you know trying to spin a wheel, pick a day, and that's the day to be out in the woods and that's the only day you're out there. You need to be out there before that day to figure out what's going on, where you're at, and where's the best place to hunt. So I hope this is helpful for you guys. Make sure that you head to the website, subscribe, do all that stuff. Really helps us you know, move the show forward. Five-star reviews with comments on iTunes are the number one way to help grow the audience of the show and reach new people. But I really appreciate you guys. God bless you. Until next time, go get them in the woods. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.